Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. In this week's Adult Bible Studies, we continue through the book of Romans. And today we get into Romans, the last part of chapter 1. If you remember the outline I mentioned last week in the episode, we are dealing now with the subject of sin. And Paul is going to hammer down on some sin today. And as I say in the class a couple times, it, this chapter does remind me of today's modern day America when we have shoved God aside, ignored God, suppressed the truth of God. And when you do that, this is the results. And that's what we're going to look at today. So without further ado, let's jump into Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Let's take our Bibles, go back to Romans chapter 1. Back to Romans 1. We started this series last week, a series that I had said to those that were here last week. It's my third time teaching this, third third time teaching it fourth time involved in it because I had it in college but it's a study that is always helped me every time I mean it's always like a new phase of my life when I go through this um, but but it's such there's such doctrinal depth to this that it can be a great help to you uh, we're kind of following an outline that I passed out last week and if you want one of these if you're an outline person you want to follow it I can give it back to you but it is very simple because that's what Paul was trying to lay out for the church. And some had called the book of Romans the, the, the uh, what did I just call it? I just lost it, but the doctrinal statement for the local church. And he talks in the first few chapters, which we are in the midst of this right now, he deals with sin. And you think about it, if you're ever trying to lead someone to the Lord, if I was trying to lead Ryan to the Lord, I want to start with sin. I'd want to begin by showing Ryan that he's a sinner. Now there's a right and wrong way to do that. I don't just go, hey, sinner, you want to get saved? Come here, let me show you all the sinful things that you've done. Nicole's told me this and this and this. It's not necessarily the right approach, but you do understand that when leading someone to the Lord, they need to first understand that they are a sinner. If they don't grasp that, then they're not going to be saved. And so we dealt with the subject. In, in the, he's going to show, he's starting this week, he's going to say, hey, you Gentiles, you're sinners. And the Jews are going to like, yeah, get them. And then next week, chapter 2, he's going to say, hey, Jews, you're also sinners. And they're going, oh. And then in the third week, which we'll cover it both next week, he's going to say the whole world is guilty for all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. So we're going to establish sin. Then he talks about salvation. Once you've established that someone is a sinner, now you show them hope. And he's going to show in, the, in chapters 3 through 5, the end of chapter 3 through the end of chapter 5, he's going to th- show salvation. And then this beautiful book goes straight from salvation to sanctification, which is where you would go if you were discipling someone to say, hey, now that you're saved, this is how you walk in the Spirit. This is how you grow as a Christian. That's exactly where he goes in this book. He goes to sanctification. And then he pauses for a second and talks about sovereignty of God, and he focuses on Israel and how you've been rejected, and he focuses on Israel. Then he comes back and talks about service in chapters 12 through 15, and then he wraps it up. In conclusion, I said I didn't have an S for that, but uh, Nicole gave me one at the end of it. What was it? Send off. So the sign off. Okay, so we have all S's. The sign off will be chapters fifteen through sixteen. So, so we're, that's just an overall picture of the book. But now we're going to kind of zoom in on one chapter, and we're going to we've we've talked about the first seventeen verses last week, where Paul is introducing both his who he is, as he always does. And he said he's an apostle. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He was said he was separated unto the gospel. He means my job, my calling from God, is to preach the gospel. 
And then towards the end of that book, he said, and I am ready to preach the gospel. He says to, the, to those that are Rome, to the Greeks, to the Jews, I am just ready to preach the gospel. And then the last two verses were verses that are pretty familiar. It's really the theme verses of the book. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He wasn't ashamed. He was going to come into Rome. He hoped to soon. And he was going to preach the gospel and he wasn't ashamed of it because he understood the power of the gospel and how it changes lives. And then he gets into his first subject. Now, it's not like he says, all right, point number one, sin. And here we go. It's not what he does, but he just naturally progresses through it. And now he's going to get into God's wrath against sin. And specifically, here's the sin of the Gentiles, though you're going to see this is sin that everybody deals with. And so let's jump into it. I gave you an outline to follow on, very few blanks. I don't know if I'll stick to them because I just get going into the text. You can ask me afterwards if I miss them. But I want you to be able to follow along if you want or draw pictures if you don't care. All right. But, uh, but here's where we are. Look at this. Let's see, first of all, he's talking about the Gentiles being guilty. Let's see the wrath of God because it starts in verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God. So there it is. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Ungodliness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness two things there ungodliness and unrighteousness of men this next phrase is a big phrase i'm going to come to in a second he says who hold the truth in unrighteousness let's stop for a second and talk about this he says that the wrath of god that is god's attitude towards sin that is god's hatred of sin the wrath of god and we understand that. And if you go to 1 John, remember it says that the, it was Jesus Christ that was the propitiation for our sin. The word pr propitiation is a word we don't use a lot, but it means the satisfaction of wrath. Because God's wrath will be poured out on sin. And, and all of us are sinners, but that's the fact that he's going to establish over the next couple of weeks as we're studying this. But he uses two words, ungodliness, which you see in your notes, it means a lack of reverence towards God. That's what sin is. And, and as I'm going to give you these points that you can go ahead and see in your notes in a minute, but you, all sin is a lack of reverence towards God. There's no respect of God. There's no respect of our Creator. It's a smack in the face of God. It's saying, though you may be not like this, I'm going to live in this way anyways against the way of my Creator. It's a lack of reverence towards God. It's unrighteousness, meaning that it's evil. It is sin. It is wrongdoing. Now, we're going to talk about some sins in here in a little bit. Sins are listed. He just lists them out in Romans chapter number one. Some of those are going to be like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Because our society may praise some of these sins. Our society may mock at some of these sins. Like it's not a big deal. But there's sin. And remember that the wrath of God is poured out on this sin. Now, when we say that, understand this. We always talk about God is love, and God is love. But God is also a God of wrath and justice. And one day we will see God's wrath poured out on sin. And that's why it's such a serious thing. That's why it's so serious that we share the gospel. That's why Paul said last week, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of Christ. We've got to get it out. I'm ready to preach because he understood this point right here. God's wrath will be poured out on sin. And we can try to make coddle sin and make sin look as good as it can and try to polish it up. But this is God's view of sin that we're going to see today in this chapter. He says it's ungodliness, it's unrighteousness. So how do we get to this point? And that's where I said why in the notes, but as I was kind of going over this, it's like how, how do we get to the point of this sin? Well, notice what he says, starting in the last part of verse 18. He says, who hold, that's a key word, 
I'm going to show you the Greek in a minute, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The word hold means in the Greek to suppress. It's to restrain. It's to hold back. It's to sit the lid on the lid. So it's to hold back something that you know to be true. And this is one of the reasons why I say there's really no such thing as an atheist. People say they're an atheist and they convince themselves of things. But everyone, and you're going to see right here in Romans chapter 1 is the reason why I say that. Everyone under, has an understanding that there is a God. We can say whatever we want. I can say the sky is green until, and just convince myself of that. The sky is still going to be blue in that moment, most of the time. And so it, it, they reject. It means they hold, they suppress, they restrain, they sit on the lid. And so they reject God by restraining the truth about him. Let's go down to verse 19. It says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, notice these last two words. Do you see those last two words? Huge words. Without excuse. Without excuse. So let's go back up and look at some of these points. First of all, they reject God by restraining the truth about him. Every one of us are created with an understanding of God. Wherever we are, not just America, I'm not just talking about America. Everywhere is created within them, in that conscience, an understanding of God. Why? Because in Genesis 1, we see we're all made in the likeness of man. Genesis 1.26. We're made in the likeness of man, of God. Excuse me, why did I say man? We're made in the likeness of God, but man, in our sinfulness, we have sinned and fallen from God. And that sin is broken. Some, I think one person described it as like a, if you take a glass, if you had a mirror up here, and you just cracked it, you know how it just shatters? And you can still see yourself in a glimpse of yourself, you may, but it's all shattered, so it's kind of hard to put it all together. It's not what the type of mirror you necessarily want to put your makeup on or fix your hair in, but I mean, because it, if it's shattered all over, it's kind of the idea of man today. You can see within man that, that image of God. It's built within us. There's an understanding of a God. But even if you take that away, which was one of those letter B there, the rejecting, we reject God and his revelation to us in our conscience. We're going to get into that in chapter 2 as well. We're going to talk about conscience next week. But God has built within each one of us when we were created a conscience that allows us to know there's something greater than I. There's something bigger than I. There's a, I'm different than an animal when I look at an animal. I'm, there's something different about me, with that, that itself. But outside of that, he says, we reject him as creator. The, even creation itself shows that there is a creator. It's, if you, I'm not a big science guy. I wish I was. I follow this thing on Twitter now called like Fascinating Science or something, and, I'm, and it'll just show me some things. I'm like, wow, that is the most amazing thing ever. I've never seen it. But in all of that, you realize that there is a creator out there. And the, and the Bible says that outside of the, God's own built within us, this conscience, creation itself shows everyone. Even if you're a, a person living in a jungle with no idea of anything, even technology-wise, when you look at creation, it leaves an understanding. That it's called general revelation that there's something greater than I out there. That this creation has a creator. And that's why really, and I'm, I'm not going to go too much into the weeds of this. I'm not an expert on all this. But in, within every culture that you go in, even some of these 
these tribes, these cannibal tribes that you're able to get into, some you can't go into, as one guy learned recently over the last few years. Remember, he tried to go over there, and he was like, hey, and then they shot him and ate him. I mean, it didn't work well at all. Didn't work well at all for him. I don't advise that. Uh, it's crazy. I, I'm sad. I get it. But it just is like, what are you doing, man? But even within a lot of those cultures, they have built within them some god, something higher than them. Why? Because general creation is a revelation. It's a revelation of, of a, a high, I don't like to use the phrase, but a phrase of higher power, something else out there. So we have cre- our conscience, we have as creator, and so God says, even with those two things right there, man is without excuse. He's without excuse. That's why he brings up a very difficult question that people ask. This is a common question. I get it all the time. Um, when, when people really want to dive into deep questions, they'll say, well, what about the person that's unsaved in the middle of the jungle? They have no access to anything. What about them? And here's what I'll say. According to the Bible, they're without excuse. There is general revelation. There's built within them a conscience. And a lot of times the question, the feedback from that is, well, that's just not fair. I mean, I don't pretend to understand the mind of God. I don't know. But I know built within every man is a conscience. Built within every one of us is able to understand from creation there's something greater. And I do believe, that's why it's important, our missions program. And I do believe that God, just like he did for the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back, confused in Acts chapter number 8, he was wondering, he was really wanting to understand about God. He went to Jerusalem, was on his way back, still trying to read the scriptures, which he had. I'm going to say people in jungle maybe don't have. I understand. And God sent Philip his way. I do believe God sends missionaries for a very specific reason. And so uh, it's a difficult question, but all I know is the key word right there is that we are without excuse. General revelation. And, 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 And... the other key phrase is that word hold or suppress. Many try to suppress the truth that they feel within them. Even an atheist, they, with, they, they may say, I don't believe in a God. That's fine. You're just saying you don't want to be accountable to a God. But you know built within you, there's something greater than you. You know it. We suppress the truth. You know, if you suppress something long enough, you can start to believe it. It's like if you tell a lie long enough, you start to believe that lie. You can suppress it long enough, you start to believe it. But Romans chapter 1 is a key verse that I like to go to when I'm trying to deal in that subject. So they rejected God by restraining the truth about him. They rejected God by his, revel- by, by his revelation in their conscience. He rejected him as creator. And then they refused to give him glory. Look at verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So the word vain there is empty, foolish. Imaginations is thoughts, reasonings. Foolish means without understanding. So here's some that even when they knew God, when they did have an understanding of God, you could go two levels here. You could go that they didn't hold back or suppress that. They did believe that there was some God out there, but still they went vain in their imaginations. Or you could go that... uh, that they may not have known of a God, but they still, this is the direction that their hearts just took them. Either way, and I think about it even today in this room, how many of us that we know that there's a God, but we still don't glorify God with our lives. Sometimes we're not thankful. Although we may not be living in Romans chapter number one, as far as our position in Christ, sometimes I find myself right here, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and foolish heart was darkened. 
And then verse 22, another one. They professed themselves to be wise. They became fools. So they claim to be wise, but they're fools. Don't we have a lot of wise people out there that are scientists and stuff that deny God? They deny Him. I'm not going back to the holding the truth. I think that they, deep down, I'm not going back to all that. They deny God. They can come up with all kinds of scientific things, creations, inventions. It's amazing what they can do. Extremely wise, but they're foolish. Because they deny the Creator. You can invent some amazing things, but if you deny God, in the end, it's foolish. You may have helped society with some creation, but in the end, we're all going to die. Because Claiming to be wise, they were fools. And then you see letter F in your notes that they replaced God's image with their own idea of God. This is, a, this is a big one today. But they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Into birds, into four-feeted beasts, and, and creeping things. Wherefore, uh, I'm going to get to verse 24. That's the big one. All right, so verse 23. So they replaced God's image with their own idea of God. So instead of, the word change is to exchange or transform. So instead of giving glory to God... They're giving glory to things on this earth. Now, back in the Bible times, a lot of times, and I'm sure in other cultures, not as much in America, but they would have, um, they would worship these idols and put these physical idols up and worship that and glorify that instead of the true God. We don't see that in America today. So a lot of times it's, it's easy to translate from idols to a different application, like making your car an idol, making your this an idol, and that's fine. But there are still some other cultures that do try to glory in some image or animals over in india well they think cows are a god over there in india still i mean there's some places like this and we don't just it's not just america that the bible was written to but still we ourselves can change what is what is the what should be glorified which is god and what i see a lot in america today in our culture is we glory in ourselves self-promotion self uh, all these self things, selfies, which I'm not against selfies if you take one, all right? But selfies, self-esteem, self-worth, all this self, 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 self. And what we're doing is we're trying to take the glory that deserves to God, and a lot of times we're putting glory on man. We're setting ourselves into a place of God. In America, the church in America has kind of gotten to that place, and if we take the church out of it, even... Our society has gotten to that place. But here's where it gets sad. Because the wrath of God is poured out on sin. And how do we get to the place, and I'm getting ready to describe the consequences. Well, when we start rejecting God in our understanding of God, rejecting Him as Creator, we start taking away His glory. All of this that we've outlined so far briefly in these verses. Here's what happens. And I think we're getting ready to get into what I'm reading here. Modern day America. And I'm not saying that this is written saying this is modern day America. I'm saying this is what happens. This is the result of ignoring God. This is a result of putting God on the back burner and giving glory to yourself or everything else. The next little bit of verses are going to get ugly. Really ugly. But it is what I think we're seeing in America today in our post-Christian society that says put God away from everything and focus on yourself, and here's what happens. Look at this next verse, verse 24. Wherefore God gave them up. This is a big phrase that we're going to see three times. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts 
to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. He's going to use that phrase three times. When it says God gave them up, it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. It doesn't mean he won't forgive them. It doesn't mean he won't forgive them. What he's saying is God is handing them over to themselves. He's going to deliver them over. Okay, this is what you want. Here you go. Here you go. This is it. Here's the life that you wanted. You know, a lot of times we look at some things that are going on and say, why doesn't God punish them? Well, God is punishing them, but he's going to by just letting them live out their sin and be miserable in it. Why do you, I, I want to be careful there. This is, if I was on a TV program, I would say very sensitive like subject that I'm going to say here and one of those trigger warnings or whatever. That's what they always say. But why do you think so many people at, that we see like in Hollywood or some musicians or things like that end up taking their lives? Speculation. Very, this is speculation opinion, but a lot of them, I think that they've had it their way and God said, hey, you know what? Go ahead. And they find themselves not fulfilled. Although they have everything. They have everything on some of them. Riches and everything. But they're not fulfilled. And they've lived their lives for themselves and they're not fulfilled and eventually they just take their lives. Because when, when God gives you up to your own, just says, okay, have it your way. And you run that course, it's going to lead to some, we're going to get to some disgusting sins. And it leads to an emptiness that if not filled by Jesus Christ is destruction every single time. So let's just get into it. God gave them over, first of all, to dishonor their bodies. He says, okay, when God, you'll see when God gives up, and not gives up, we use that phrase in sports so often, give up, that means I don't try. It's not what that means though. When God says, I want to change it this way to the, like the Burger King or whatever it is, have it your way. Is that Burger King that says that? I may start saying that. When God says, have it your way, here's what happens. First of all, society starts dishonoring their body. Look at what he says, verse 24 again. They dishonor their own bodies between themselves who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who's blessed forevermore. So first, they start to dishonor their bodies. They start to treat their bodies shamefully, degrade themselves. There, there's a lust there. Um, they start to, he starts talking about there how they, how they serve, the, serve the creature more than the creator. Isn't that what we're seeing a lot of times today? We're, we're, we're praising and serving others and ourselves or whatever and promoting these influencers, promoting themselves instead of promoting God. And so there's, there's this dishonor. There's a, he's already hinting towards a lust that's coming. And then in verse 26, it starts to break it wide open. He says this, For this cause God gave them up, second time using that phrase, unto vile affections. Now watch this. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another now you guys i mean i'm not a i'm not an expert on reading or english or greek or anything I, i'm i maybe there's some experts in here but when you just read those phrases right there leaving the nat the men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly you don't have to say it out loud but can we all agree that that phraseology, that wording, sounds like he's talking about homosexuality? And the phrase right before that, women leaving their natural use, is talking about, I know we have teens in here, so, but lesbianism or homosexuality among women? I mean, so I don't say that 
this is such a sensitive subject that people are like, ah, don't be doing that. And in our society today, if it was 2007, you could, you could teach this and it'd be easy. 2007, this was easy to teach. And I taught it in 2006. I learned it. To, never, it was easy. Everybody, probably 90% of people would agree with this text. Today, our, our really post-Christian culture, I think since 2008, and you can go back and see what happened in 2008 to see why I think that if you study elections and stuff like that. But 2008 on, this sin became very public. And this sin became very commonized in our society today to where teenagers that are sitting in our room right now are going to be under a ton of pressure over the next few years. They're going to be under a ton of pressure. You guys, adults, are going to be under a lot of pressure because this is supposed to be something that we accept in our society today. And by saying that it is sin, it's viewed as if you hate the individual. It's not even close to the case. Um, so I don't want to get into too many illustrations of the of, of this because it's not the point. But my point is the number one thing that's always said is this: that because if you go to the Old Testament, it's very, it's, it's really easy because the Old Testament talked about it being wrong and abomination. And so that whenever you're whenever someone wants to debate this, they always say, "Oh, you're living in the Old Testament. If you're going to go back to the Old Testament and say that homosexuality is sin, then you can't wear denim and you can't do this because that's all in the same chapter." Great, I'm glad that you understand the Old Testament, but why don't you just read the New Testament? Because in the New Testament, he speaks very clearly about it in Romans chapter 1, and Timothy, and Titus, multiple places. And this is in the context of dealing with sin and the wrath of God against sin. So, this debate could go two ways. Some say, well, I'm just born that way, though I may not believe that, even if I've had to debate this, and I said, even if you're born that way, you know what, I was also born a liar and a a cheat, and I'm, I was born a, sometimes my thinking or sometimes my attitude, we're all born sinners. So if that was, if that's true and you're, and you're born that way, I'm not saying I agree with that, but if someone wants to take that argument, that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that the Bible says it's sin. Just like if I was born a liar, I can't say, well, I'm born that way, so it's just how it is. No, it's still sin. So even if you were born that way, it's still sin. And so it means it can be overcome by the power of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the, what the Bible would be teaching. Just like sin and anger and, and worry and all of those can be defeated by sin. It's a, it's, a, it's a lust of the mind in a different way. It can be really, I mean, uh, uh, guys that would be the other direction would be born with a temptation to have wrong thoughts about women if they're not careful. Pornography in our society is a big deal, which we may see that come up in a little bit. But why is all this? Because men struggle with lust. Women struggle with lust. There's all these sins. One may just be towards the same sex. That could be true, but doesn't mean that it's okay. Doesn't mean that we that it, we say it's okay just because it feels just like going around saying, "Hey, an adultery is okay," just because I felt like it. No, it's sin. And so the Bible is clear. And the reason I just take a few minutes to say that is because more than ever, our society is going is pushing this. And more than ever, Christians are demonized for saying that it's wrong. And we can be gracious in our love in our, in our, and merciful in, in our way that we handle people. But we don't have to back down because you have the Bible on your side. We wouldn't back down to sins of worry and anger. Why can't back down to this just because it's not politically correct? And so if someone walked into our church today 
and they struggled with the sin of homosexuality, you know what we would do? We would love them. We would worship with them. We would, we would encourage them to, to get help with that. We would encourage them to, if they're not saved, be saved. And you know what? They may be saved and they may be struggling with thoughts of the same sex lust. They may. You know what we would do? Help them. Encourage them, just like we would help someone that's struggling with drugs or alcohol. It's a sin. We can't stop saying that. But it can be overcome in the power of Jesus Christ. And we have to, I mean, we just, we have to believe that according to the Bible, have the Bible support and not cower to our society. It's going to be tough. And for our teenagers in here, I know that's a difficult subject. And you guys are going to face it head on. And it's going to be extremely difficult in your society because now probably 90, 85% of people seemingly accept it. Although our media portrays things a little bit bigger. And so, loving, share the gospel, share the power to overcome that, but it is a sin, and it's right here. And, and it's one of the things, it's one of the first directions that the Bible lists. When God says, you know what, have it your way, all of a sudden, lust is rampant in all different forms. He says, it, 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 it's a passions, that's what it means here. Vile affection means passions of dishonor. Then he lists lesbianism. He, he talks about the natural use, homosexuality. And then in verse 28 which is the next verse, he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they don't want to think about God living in this sin, don't want to think about God, God gave them up. God, God gave them over, third time it's used, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. What is a reprobate mind? It's a highly debated thing as well. Reprobate here just means failing the test, worthlessness cannot form right decisions. So when... What happens is, and you see this, this is why it's, it's sometimes it's foolish to try to debate things online, because someone that is just living in sin, now I'm transitioning, I'm not just talking about homosexuality right now, any sin, someone that is just corrupted and turning from God, and they're just open to any and all these sins, when God gives them up, they, they dishonor their body, they're, they're going to be open to all kinds of sins, they're going to be calling you judgmental, they're going to be calling you all these things, and it's hard to really have a decent conversation with some because in a sense once you start going down that path you're turned over god says have it your way into a reprobate mind which means in that word that 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 word meaning it's worthless you fail the test and you can't make right decisions they're not going to make right decisions if you don't have your life yielded to god it could lead when don't follow that path of sin can lead to so many different destinations and to try to have conversation. I'm not saying don't try to have conversation, but that's why Paul said, The power, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power to change lives. He, he's not going to try to debate some of these sins. He's going to share the gospel. I can't change a sinner's mind by just debating with them. But when he gets Jesus Christ in his life, the Spirit of God changes their mind. It's amazing how it just flips. Amazing how it may take some time, depending on how long God has given them over and how long they went down this and how deep into this reprobate mind they are. But I'm telling you, the gospel changes lives, not my Twitter debates, which I don't do. Not my Facebook challenges in these people's groups to fight. It's not going to change their mind. They're given over to a reprobate mind. What changes that? The gospel. So chapters 1 and 2 and 3, he's just going to lay out sin, but then he's going to get into the gospel. So he talks about the reprobate mind. And, and when, we, when we dishonor our bodies and go down the path of vile affections and we're given over to the reprobate mind, 
Then verses 29 through 31, he's just going to list out sins. All right? Let me just read them. I'll, I'll go back. I'm not going to spend the rest of my time on all this. I'm going to spend my time on 32. But I will try to give definition of these. You can see them in your notes. But let's just read it. Because this is, this is the picture of America today. When they just give up and they go their own way to ignore God. Verse 28, And they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Then watch what happens. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Let me just read that one more time for this week. For I just feel led this week. One more time. Disobedient to parents. Just kidding. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, talks about it again, implacable, unmerciful. I'll come back to verse 32 in a second. So he just starts listening. He says, listen, when you go down the path of of ignoring God and, and suppressing the truth and ignoring God and opening your mind to sin, all of these sins just come into play. Some of those are not words we're used to. So unrighteousness, wrongdoing, fornication is illicit sexual intercourse. This would be sex before marriage. This would be anything that happens outside of the marriage bounds. It's a big general term. Wickedness is evil intention. Covetousness, greedy desire to have. Maliciousness is a desire to injure. Full of envy. I think we understand that one. Murder, I think we understand that one. Debate means someone that's very contentious. You know, some people just say, I, mean, I just like to debate. Well, you may be a little bit contentious. Could be. It's not saying debating's wrong. If you're in a debate class, I'm not saying it's wrong. But sometimes people just like to be contentious. There's a fine line there. And so uh, deceit, being crafty, malignity is, means malicious or craftiness. There's the ones that are stirring things up. Whispers or gossips. Backbiters or slanders, talking bad about people behind their back. Haters of God, I think we understand that. Despiteful. It's got the idea here of minding the superiority resulting in violent mistreatment of others. Do we not see that in our society? And sometimes they just post it around. I watched one, I don't know why I started through this road, and it was a, a video, just a random guy, and he just walked up to a homeless guy and shot him right there. No reason, no motivation. Doesn't This homeless guy didn't do anything to him, doesn't know him, doesn't do anything. And all this guy did on the streets is walk up and shoot him just for the sake of it. How do we, some people say, how do we get to that place in society? Just say Romans chapter number one. That's really what it is. Now, when you say that, it doesn't make sense to people. But as you guys are studying this, do you see when God says to you, okay, if you're going to ignore me and you want nothing to do with me, have it your way. Go ahead, have it your way. Well, now lust is rampant in our society. Pornography in our, in our society today is off the charts. Kids on their phones nowadays can see things that are so easily accessible. Why? Is it the phone's bad? No, it's, it's have it your way. Have it your way. Things that are promoted on... Every, you cannot watch a television show without homosexuality on it now. You cannot. They, they put it on everything now. Why? Have it your way. And they're trying to condition our kids. Is what they're trying to do. Have it your way. That's what they're doing. Murder is going on. Why are people walking up and killing people? Why is why are we seeing all these shootings in Chicago? Why are we seeing these shootings of people? At, why are mass shootings happening on college campuses? It's have it your way. It have it your way. Follow the path of sin. It always leads to this stuff right here. 
They're, they're proud, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. That phrase just means unloving there. Implacable is not a word we use a lot, but they, there's no reconciliation. They break truces, break covenants, they don't care. Unmerciful. They refuse to be merciful to people. All of this is a society that just says, God, stay out. We don't want you, God. Because that's, that's why I read those earlier verses. Remember when they said they hold the truth, they suppress the truth and all of that, and they reject God. This is what you get right here. And then verse 32 is a sad verse, and we'll close on. He says, there are some, watch this, who knowing the judgment of God, and that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, I think this, if I could take application, is a lot of where a lot of church people sit today. A lot. I'm not saying our church. I'm not saying you guys, okay? Just in general. Sometimes we're maybe where I've been. It's people that know the judgment of God on these sins. It's people that know that, that those that are committing these sins are worthy of death because you know the Bible, but then we still get involved in this stuff, some of these. We still take part in some of these things. And then he says, they have pleasure in them that do them. A lot of times Christians are like, oh, you know what, I just don't think we should say anything. I think we just, you know what, we got to be very accepting. We use terms that are very good terms. Be very accepting, be very loving, all of that, yes. But how do we deal with Romans 1 when, we, when God says the wrath of God is poured out on this? As you've heard me say before, it doesn't mean that we become jerks. Doesn't mean if someone walks in, a transgender person walks into our church today, we don't become a jerk. We are not God. So the wrath of Brad doesn't pour out on them. But we also don't back down. There's a balance there. Speaking the truth in love. You have to, you have to be able to speak the truth and do it in love. Don't become jerks because you look at Romans chapter 1 and leave here and become Twitter warriors all of a sudden. Don't do that. Leave here with a commitment to say, hey, our society may be putting God out of the schools, putting God out of the homes, and this may be where it's going, but it's not going to be our home. It's got to start there. It's got to start in your own home. And then we've got to determine, hey, I'm not going to take pleasure in the things of sin in Romans 1. I don't want to take part in that. And though I may be loving and kind, I'm not going to excuse it. And if you have kids or grandkids, you've got to be willing to take, you've got to be willing to teach them this right here. Because they're going to face a very difficult America. Different America than even some, I'm only 41, a different America than I was in. They're going to face it. And I'm not a gloomsday. I, don't, I, I tend to go that way. I'm not saying that in the sense of they have no hope. I'm saying God put them here for a reason. Two of my girls are in this class right now. They're going to face a different American than I have, but God put them in their generation at this time to make a difference. It's their choice. It's your guys' choice. It's our choice. And so we come to chapter, this chapter 1. Boy, it, it's, it's kind of an kind of ugly f- passage. I wish I could leave here saying, all right, let's, this is fun. This is exciting. It's not a rally thing. This is, but I think we have to understand sin because if we're ever going to lead someone to the Lord, we can't say, oh, yeah, you've probably done some bad things, right? All right, now here's what Jesus said. No, they've got to know that they're a sinner. And if you and I are ever going to be passionate about reaching people with the gospel, 
We've got to really see the true picture of sin. And he shows us in Romans chapter number one. That's the Gentiles guilty. Chapter two, we're going to see next week the Jews are going, yeah, that's right. Those wicked sinners. And he's going to say, actually, you Jews, you're held to a higher standard. You had the law. They didn't have the law. You, you had a history. They didn't have a history. And you're still guilty. So we're going to get into that next week. But let's pray.